Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we open up your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your wonderful eternal truth, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, and through the indwelling of your spirit, that we might apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As you think back in life, have you ever been given a nickname? Normally, if you think about having a nickname, nicknames were given to you to point out, in most cases when you're an adolescent, a particular point of embarrassment. Fortunately, as we grow older, our nicknames have long been forgotten. At least, we hope. But... There's a man in the Bible who was given a nickname, and that nickname has stuck for over 2,000 years. Join me as we turn to John chapter 20, as we look at Doubting Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24. It reads, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, as we look at doubting Thomas, he refused to believe because he had personally not witnessed the resurrected Lord. If you think about it, Thomas knew Jesus. He had lived with Jesus. He had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. Yet he said, I will not believe. Now, in our language, belief a lot of times means just intellectual acknowledgement. But in the original language... This word, I believe, when Thomas said, I will not believe. What Thomas is saying in the original language is, I will not trust. I will not trust. I will not trust that Jesus 
is alive. And it begs the question, what does the resurrection mean? What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean? In the most simplistic terms, it means that Christ did something on earth that no one has ever done either before or since. Yes, Christ resurrected Lazarus, but Lazarus didn't resurrect Lazarus, and Lazarus later died. Jesus rose from the dead, and he still lives in eternity. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than a man beating death, as incredible as that is, by itself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the validation that Jesus Christ himself is deity and the Messiah. It is the proof. It is the mark. And in fact, if you look at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it reads, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And here's the part that's important to our sermon this morning. Verse 4, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is why Christ said in the Great Commission, after His resurrection in Matthew 28, He said, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and earth. All authority. Well, why does Christ have all authority? He has all authority because the resurrection proves that he is deity, that he is the Son of God. He that goes on and says in verse 19 of 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is eternal. And because of that, the resurrection not only proves that He is the Son of God, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ also proves that all of His teachings in His truth are reliable. And in His teaching. Jesus Christ did something. He promised eternal life. He promised eternal life. In John chapter 3, as Jesus Christ interacts with Nicodemus, in verse 14 of John chapter 3, Jesus said these words, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There it is. There's the promise. There it is in the teaching of Jesus Christ as he interacts with Nicodemus. Jesus Christ promises in his teaching eternal life. Later on in John, in John chapter 6, as Jesus Christ fed the 5,000 afterwards, after he performed that miracle of feeding the 5,000, in verse 53, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. That's his promise. Jesus Christ in his teaching promised eternal life. Now, you and I can look at eternal life in a number of different ways. And one of the ways, which I've said repeatedly in my ministry, is the wrong way of looking at eternal life of when we get to heaven. That's when eternal life begins. When we get to heaven. That's not the scriptural view of eternal life. The scriptural view is found in the 17th chapter of John, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority. There's that word again, authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. So here he is. He's about to define eternal life in verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth I finished the work which you have given me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus Christ defined eternal life, and it isn't five years, ten years, tomorrow, when I go on to see the Lord, whenever that time may be. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is knowing and abiding with the living God. Eternal life begins the moment you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the blood covering of Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness that one needs to abide with the Father. That is eternal life. 
It's not looking and saying, one day when I'm 99 years old at night and I'm in my sleep and I die, then I'm going to go on to heaven. That just dumbs down the gospel and it makes all of the void from when you first give your life to Jesus Christ to heaven. There's nothing in between and, and that's without richness and joy and depth. Eternal life is abiding with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning... If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, repenting of your sins and asking Jesus Christ into your heart will give you the forgiveness that you need to abide with Jesus Christ, to understand the things of God, to have forgiveness, to have joy. This is what eternal life is all about. And this idea of Jesus Christ in eternal life cannot be separated. As I was preparing for my sermon, I thought of a wonderful quote that's in the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He quoted another theologian whose last name was Letourette. And this is what the theologian said. He said, it is not his teachings which make Jesus so remarkable, although these would be enough to give him distinction. It is a combination of the teachings with the man himself. The two cannot be separated. So for people that look at eternal life as something that's distant and in the future... You cannot separate Jesus Christ in eternal life because eternal life is abiding with the Father and abiding with Jesus Christ. Now, given that fact, and knowing that Thomas was saying, I will not trust. When he said, I don't believe, he's saying, I will not trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What? did Thomas do when he recognized the Lord? Let's go back to our focal passage. Verse 27. Jesus looked at Thomas and said, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In other words, Jesus is looking at Thomas at this very moment and he's saying, Trust me. Trust me. And as Jesus did that, as he posed that question, look at Thomas's response in verse 28. He said, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Now, as we think about Thomas's response, the word for Lord in the original language means Master. Master. Well, if Thomas is declaring that Jesus Christ is his master, Thomas is also declaring that he is a slave to Christ. Because if one is a master, The other person is a slave. And the reason why Thomas makes this declaration, as Jesus Christ stands before him in his resurrected state, 
is that the offer of Christ is exclusive. People want to say that Christianity is an inclusive faith, but that's not the case. Christianity is an exclusive faith because the only way that you can come to know the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's why in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. His offer is the only way. It's an exclusive offer. You can have peace. You can have forgiveness. You can have joy. You can know the Father only through the offering that Jesus Christ gives. And when Thomas recognized who Jesus was, he said, my Lord and my God. But this isn't a unique declaration to Thomas. As we look throughout the New Testament, other people made that declaration as well. We've changed the language a little bit, but the word for slave in most translations is bondservant. But if you look back at the original language, it's slave. And I already read this earlier as we opened up with Romans 1. Romans 1, 1, Paul said, Paul, a bondservant, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul said, I am a slave to Christ. Timothy in the New Testament is identified as a slave of Jesus Christ. James is identified as a slave of Jesus Christ. Peter identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Jude identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. The resurrection story isn't about us getting a free pass for our sins. The resurrection story is about recognizing the eternal power of Jesus Christ. And as Thomas stood before Jesus, he was so overwhelmed in recognizing who Jesus is and who Thomas was. He said, my Lord and my God. Now, how does this relate to you and me? Well, if you look at Romans 10, 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Lord Jesus, the Master Jesus. Some people say, you know, you might be offended by that. Well, let me tell you, in Philippians, it says at the end of time, we will all bend the knee. We will all bend the knee into submission to the Lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. If Christ is my master, then just like all before me, I need to identify myself as a slave or bondservant to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means obedience. 
It means obedience. And in fact, your obedience to the teachings and truth of Jesus Christ prove that you are a Christian. We find proof of that in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, it says, Now by this we know that we know Him. Now by this we know that we know Him. In other words, this is how I can have satisfaction in my heart, that I'm a follower of Christ. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You can have assurance in your life this morning that when you stand before God... You can have assurance that you'll be accepted if you're following the teaching and truths of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we live in a time where this gospel, the biblical gospel, has been watered down to easy believism. Where... The Christ that many people will worship on a Easter Sunday is not an offensive Christ. It's an easy Christ. But Christ is offensive. He's offensive. In fact, the Bible says that Christ will either be your cornerstone or he will be your stumbling block. Because when you look at Christ in the Bible, and you look at the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you look at the commands of Jesus Christ, and what Christ has called us to do, one has to totally surrender. Just as Thomas looked at Christ and said, My Lord and my God. And he believed. In other words, He trusted. He trusted. True salvation. True salvation. A salvation that we all can believe in. A salvation that we can all have joy in. A salvation that we can have assurance in is by grabbing hold of all of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and applying them to our life. It's offensive to think that we have a Jesus Christ that the world has created That we will always just carry this ticket to heaven in our pocket. And when we, at the time of our liking, we're going to get out and we're going to whip the ticket out and go, Oh, I get in. I get in. That's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus Christ bore our sins for on Calvary. That's not Jesus. That's a Jesus that the world has created. And unfortunately, churches have gotten caught up in watering down what this day is. 
I remember last year, my mom was still alive. And we were talking about Easter Sunday and what our respective churches had done for Easter Sunday. And their particular church, a very large church, had a helicopter. I'm not exaggerating. Had a helicopter fly over and drop candy from the sky for the children. It's a diversion. Because, see, Jesus Christ, in his true identity, is either offensive or he's the cornerstone. But all across our land, we have churches that have been caught up into spring festivals, Easter egg hunts, helicopters. Well, I can say this, as long as I'm pastor of this church... It's going to be the teaching and truth of Jesus Christ. Because there's only one thing that is worthy on a Sunday morning, on an Easter Sunday morning, and that's to worship the resurrected Lord in His truth, in His word, in His holiness. So the question that I have for you this Easter morning And as we think about somebody who was given a nickname 2,000 years ago, and now that you know what that means in the original language, can you honestly say in your life that you've had the recognition of Thomas? When you've looked at Jesus Christ and you say, my Lord or my Master is Christ master in your life. And fortunately, if that answer is no, Jesus Christ is here with his arms open wide, willing to accept you in your life. The offer is free. Free grace for those who repent of their sins, ask for forgiveness, and recognize Just as Thomas recognized 2,000 years ago as he stood at the feet of Jesus and he recognized Jesus for who he was. And he said, my Lord and my God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that we're here only because of the blood covering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who's never committed their life to you, that they may take that offer of Jesus, that offer of life, the offer of forgiveness, that they might take it and bow before you and recognize you as Lord. I pray, Lord, for those of us who have walked many years, that we may remember That our life isn't our own. That our life was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that we might be, as Thomas recognized, recognize you as master and recognize us as a bondservant. I pray, Lord, that today you might be on our minds for the wonderful salvation that we have. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.